Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. The CIM Podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hello everybody and welcome to the CIM Podcast Series and today we are back with Morag Kudafta Jones, editor of Catalyst magazine, which goes out to CIM members every quarter. The new one is on its way. And Morag, this issue, you've been talking about self-development a lot, haven't you? Bettering oneself, becoming a better marketer and how to do that. Hello there, Ben. Yes, it has. It's It's been a really interesting one. It's You know, sometimes when you write about things like you write about Christmas editions or you're writing articles about food and suddenly you get desperately hungry you know I I hasten to add never write about chocolate first thing in the morning but it's been very much like this with this issue it's been so inspirational and even from from my perspective I've been sitting there and taking a long hard look about my life but but you know picking up bits and pieces and going do you know what I could do that and and maybe I should lots of interesting nuggets about you know how to how to broaden your your experience how to adapt your way of working a lot of it as it applies to the marketing community but it applies to to everybody i think so it's been really inspirational did you encounter lots of sort of humbling high flyers and by that i mean people who do everything and anything that they can do to develop themselves and thus you know have advanced uh, into stratospheric heights in the industry Oh, my Lord. I, I think if there's one thing that I can say that I take away from all the people that I've interviewed in this industry, and I, I can say this, I think, without exception, whether they're startup entrepreneurs or lifelong marketers who've been in the same role for 20 years, their energy is indefatigable. It's unbelievable. Nobody's just doing the day job. They're all out there. They're on uh, committees and judging panels and mentorships. Um, They've got extraneous hobbies. Some of them have got extra companies altogether that they're running. It's really quite exhausting. So while I say I've been inspired, I've also been very humbled and somewhat exhausted by some of the stuff these people get through. But presumably for us as mere mortals, there are snippets and items that we can take and we can fit in with our lives. I know what you mean, that some of the things that people manage to fit in is it must require them to work so quickly that it's probably not open to all of us. But presumably there are some things that we can take in bite-sized chunks for ourselves to help advance us a little bit, if not to the level, uh, the rocket fueled level of some of the super high flowers in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that I took away from Ursula Dalton, who's the chief technology officer at British Heart Foundation, is that she has spent her career looking for every experience she can get above and beyond technology, which is her core um, skill and learning. She's gone across different industries. She hasn't been frightened to ditch one job altogether and start afresh, starting afresh in a new company, starting afresh in a new town, And one of the things that she attributes to her ability to move across sectors is the fact that she's incredibly curious and she's all about gathering in multiple skill sets. So she may be a technologist, but she's deeply invested in 
what it means to be in business, about what the business needs, about finding out and learning more about whatever business she's in. And we we talked about agility a lot and businesses and companies being agile. And I think this is what makes um, Ursula and and people like her, whether technologists, marketers, digital strategists, what makes them so good at moving across and, and applying their skill sets to different areas is this curiosity, is this ability to assimilate information, always being open to getting lots more information in, always being open to experiences. Um, and I think it's that gathering, you know, like a bit like a, a teasel, you know, those sticky seed heads that when they sort of roll across, they just pick everything up as they go. I think one of the reasons they said that the people I've been speaking to this issue have said it's not necessarily exhausting, although it looks exhausting from the outside in, is the fact that they just do it as habit. So every day they're picking up a nugget of information, they're picking up a new piece of a skill, they're picking up a new connection. And before you know it, it's become this massive conflagration of experience that they can then apply in so many different ways. These people are, are, are like sponges. They sort of soak up experience and intelligence and ideas uh, from other people, which means that their days are enriched and their, their working lives are enriched. And perhaps then the, the, the secret to doing this is to become more sponge-like. We make a habit of it, to use your word, in our daily lives. We're trying to present ourselves in a way or act in a certain way in that we are able to absorb almost by osmosis the things that happen to us. I think they're definitely the ones that are, you know, the most inspirational. I think I think they're definitely a type of person that is highly curious and highly open to new experiences. But I don't say that in a way that excludes the rest of us from being like that. I wouldn't say I'm not like that, but I wouldn't say I'm quite as energetic as half the people I've just spoken to. Um, but you can if you if you make of a mind to do it. And it's interesting that these people are also in company cultures where this is made possible. You know, people aren't shoved into, uh, you know, stay within your tram lines and just do what your job is. Don't don't express curiosity in anything else. Just get on with your job. Um, these people are very much working in companies that are also hugely encouraging of saying, you want to learn something else? Well, obviously do your day job to, to the best of your ability, but you want to learn something else? You want to gain a different piece of experience? We recognize that that's going to enrich us as much as it will enrich you. And they give these people the leeway to do it. So I think the learnings that I gathered from the people that were that were so inspirational was that some of them did it more naturally than others, but they made space for curiosity in their everyday work. And they also sought out companies that they wanted to work for where that was also reinforced, where that was supported. Um, in fact, in our round table, um, you know, we, we found lots of different experiences where where people were encouraged to go and do things. I mean, it was in, it was inspired actually by a lady I spoke to many moons ago. I think when I was just starting out on Catalyst, actually, Sarah Ellis, who was formerly a head marketer at Sainsbury's. And while she was at Sainsbury's, she also had a small child, which which gives you an indication of how um, energetic these people are. She started uh, a business on the side, and her company, Sainsbury's was very willing to let her take a day a week from being the head of marketing. It's not a small role. She is needed to be hands-on quite a lot. But they let her take a day a week to help develop this business. 
which has become a company called Amazing If, and it's all about developing other people. Um, it's it's a human resources development, if, if I've got that right. Um, but this was a company that encouraged her curiosity, encouraged her drive to do something else. She wasn't initially, I don't believe, doing this company as a replacement for her job. She wasn't trying to train herself for another job while she was working for Sainsbury's. It was just something she felt incredibly passionate about. And the company recognised that by supporting her, she would be a better employee because she would be more fulfilled. And also there were no doubt several benefits from her research and looking into this that they could benefit from too. So the key to sort of enriching your career experience to such an extent that you are able to absorb uh, this intelligence, these these ideas and, 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 and uh, these experiences, if you like, is to find a place, a main employer that allows that to happen. You cited some companies there, you cited Sainsbury's and there are, there are others, I'm sure, in your research that you, for the magazine that you've found. How, when you're outside of those companies, do you identify them? I think, again, it goes back to looking for inspiration. And one thing I wouldn't encourage people to do, which is something we've had a lot of trouble with recently in the pandemic, is this is not about putting it, you know, burning the candle at both ends, burning the midnight oil, coming home from your, or moving from the sitting room to the dining room from your day job. We've all been working incredibly hard during the pandemic and it's, you don't want to add to people's workload. It's again, just about purely being open and being curious. Where can you find those moments within your daily life to find that inspiration? Where can you look into different things that might be that might be interesting? It was funny, I explained to my husband that he couldn't understand why Netflix kept showing him the same type of programs over and over again. And he said to me, you know, I am interested in other stuff. And I said, it's because that's all you watch on Netflix. It's an algorithm and it keeps showing you what it thinks you want to see. And I think we have to break out of our own personal algorithm and go, well, you know, one of my favorite forms of entertainment is stand-up comedy. So maybe I should go to a ballet and see how that feels. I might hate it, but I, I, I can only do it once and then hate it. So I think there was very much to sort of, you know, go out and do stuff. I, I hate this phrase, break out of your comfort zone, but at least do something different. Try and form a different perspective on something. And did you find any evidence of the companies with these sort of exploratory cultures um, were making a big show of it and were, were, were good at marketing themselves to potential employees? I think it's very interesting that when you see, I don't know, if, in answer to your question, I don't think they're necessarily particularly good at marketing it. And I think possibly the reverse is true. I'd be very wary of a company that's overtly marketing how cool and groovy it is. You know, it's it's like it's like the weird uncle at a party that goes in and says, you know, I'm the coolest, grooviest guy around, when you know clearly they're not going to be. I'm wacky, I am. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> phrase. Um, I think it's just the people that are quietly there and, and it becomes evident that they are a culture. And it's interesting, one of the comments in our uh, cover story from Christopher Dean, who's the head group marketing, at Sanlam, he said, I believe culture is caught, not taught. And I think you can see it in the way companies behave. If they're very open with you and, and you get that feeling right from the recruitment process, you can feel it, can't you? If you, you can feel something's a bit off, you can feel if it's a very heavily traditional corporate culture, you can feel if it's going to be very loosey-goosey and let you get on with it. Um, 
There are some companies where it has come as a shock, where they're not necessarily what it says on the tin. There have been a couple of um, news stories about those recently, and we do we do cover that in the magazine. Uh, no spoilers. I'll let you read it for yourselves. Um, but I would suggest they're rare. I think as a person looking for a company where it has a genuine culture of growth and exploration and inspiration, you have to look for it in the behavior and not in the things it's telegraphing. So you remember with this, the, the uh, dot-com boom, every startup had a foosball table, uh, free beer in the fridge and various other things. How many times that actually translated into culture I'd say it was very doubtful because obviously at many of those companies, people were coming into work at six o'clock in the morning, not leaving their desk till midnight. It was very high stress. Don't think anyone got anywhere near the foosball table. <laughs> so so it's, it's very much a, do you feel it? I think, do you sense that this, the things they're asking of you, do they, do they chime with what you want? I mean, so, some people do want a very traditional environment. They'd be totally turned off with a culture that says, no, we want your training to be, something where you go out and learn to to lino print or where you go and take part in a, a sprint-a-thon. That's one of the things that um, Direct Line Group's Mark Evans was talking about um, in the roundtable. Uh, they've finally been able to get together and do that after the pandemic. They've been able to get together in person. And he says he, something along the lines of he's run the fastest marathon sprint of anyone he knows. Well, of course, they're all running a marathon, but the thousands of them, and they're all running about 400 meters each. So it does make a difference. But if yeah. you're not the sort of person who wants to join a company where it's all very, you know, let's get together and do something really different, then it won't be for you. But I think you can sense that, don't you think? Perhaps you can sense it. Perhaps you can get a feel from it, from the uh, non-verbal indicators, if you like. But you did find some companies which were to some degree, flag-waving about their culture. There's the one or two in there that you cited who, who insisted on giving their uh, employees a week off to avoid burnout. What did you make of that as a gesture? It, it's interesting. I, I was on the fence about it, as were quite a few media commenters. This is um, Bumble, the dating app, and they recognise that there's, there's been a big issue about pandemic burnout. We've not known when to close our laptops. We've not stepped away from this. You know, you step away from the sitting room sofa, you stand up, sit down again, and you're back in your office or your sitting room, depending on your state of mind. And so I think they recognise that, you know, even if people aren't working 12 hour days, the whole situation has got on top of them. And when you take holiday, it's very hard to get over this idea of presenteeism that you've put on your out of office, but everyone else is in office. Someone mm. else has taken over answering your urgent emails. Is somebody picking up and, and having a thought about a project you haven't quite finished and you're not there to justify why you haven't quite got to the end of it yet? And there's all this yeah. anxiety, which, which wrecks your time off. And so I think this was a statement by Bumble to say as a culture, and this is purely my opinion, OK, as a company culture, we're not going to judge how you need your time off or what you need your time off for. But we are going to give you both that physical and entire mental break because everyone is going to be off. We're just making, yeah. we're shutting down for a week. So there's nobody, you don't need to worry that somebody else is in the office trying to pick something up or that you're missing something critical. Um, you can turn off totally because as far as you're concerned, the working world has stopped. And I think that's a cultural recognition of how 
employees feel. And I think it's one of those very difficult challenges to address, isn't it? It's very difficult to address how somebody feels and make them feel better. Do you understand what I mean? Is that I can't necessarily control someone if they're feeling anxious about their job. I can I can offer words of reassurance, but it really is in their power to control that anxiety. But this is one way of really getting a handle on it and saying, okay, we'll still be there in a week's time, but you can't do anything about it and we're not going to do anything about it. It's a clever idea because that's why bank holidays and Easter and Christmas kind of work as holidays, isn't it? Is that, that everyone else is also off on those holidays and you're not worrying about the sun shifting under your feet and things are going on without you. And, and it is a, a fantastic way of reducing uh, work anxiety and letting people have a break. You mentioned uh, Sarah Alice at Sainsbury's taking a day for herself in, in, in the week. So she worked four days for her main employer, which was Sainsbury's, of course, and then took, took one day a week uh, for herself to run her own, her own business. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a trend we've talked about a little bit before on the podcast. People talk about a lot of it uh, now, um, particularly since the pandemic, uh, to some degree, opened people's eyes and led them to spread their wings, which is this concept of the side hustle and you found in your work about side hustle that even though they're still controversial with some people who think you should only have one and one only focus which is on your main job actually the evidence seems to suggest the opposite that those people with who have a side hustle uh, do better both at the side hustle but also in their main job Exactly. And and it's again, it's going back to this being this teasel that picks up all these different experiences that you can use across the board. I mean, during our roundtable, this is exactly what it was about. It was about side hustles. And the start of the discussion was, can we please not call it a side hustle? Um, because it's neither hustling nor is it on the side. It's about making you a fully rounded human being. And this stretched from Eve Sleep's CEO, CEO level, bear in mind, Cheryl, Cheryl wow. Calderley. Um, running a, a, a small holding, uh, among all the many other things that, that she does. Um, Helen Hepworth is uh, taking swimming lessons <laughs> and her current business, Collective Stories, used to be her side hustle. So again, like Sarah Ellis, the side hustles become the main hustle. This is Cheryl Cavalli from Eve Sleep. She uh, runs a, a side hustle that we shouldn't call a side hustle as a farmer. She's got a small holding. Shall we hear a little bit from Cheryl? We talk all the time about growth mindset and, you know, you need a growth mindset to have a growing business, fundamentally to innovate. People with a growth mindset are all constantly curious. You don't just have a growth mindset at work and then go home and go, right, now I'm just going to watch telly. So you, you kind of want these side hustles. And I had a previous role where I was explicitly prevented from even speaking. So I was told I was not allowed to speak at a marketing conference. I was not allowed to have any involvement because I was pushing my own agenda. And I left that organisation because fundamentally... Any organisation that misreads a growth mindset as pushing your own agenda is not an organisation for me. That is really interesting, isn't it? We hear that phrase. I still hear that phrase from time to time or people repeating that phrase about other people. They're pushing their own agenda, which speaks to the idea that this has not been entirely adopted and embraced by everybody, not just in marketing, but in other industries. The idea that people should have other interests, commercial interests in some cases, beyond their core job. That will still be a challenge for some marketers who are in organisations uh, that perhaps frown on it. And not all of them are going to be in the position like Cheryl where they can just quit. So 
if they are in the position where they like their job, but their uh, side hustle, not side hustle, is not welcome, what do you think they should do? Crazy to chuck the job in, isn't it? I mean, clearly that that company that Cheryl was working for has lost out on someone who is clearly a very a force of nature. She's really, really an impressive person, and she's obviously now the CEO of Eve Sleep. So, um, shame there that they missed out on that. It's not necessarily that you you junk in your job, but it does very much smack that if you're working. I mean, it is to me, it's almost as petty as the company that's you know going, are you stealing post-it notes from the stationery cupboard? Yes. You know, I, I'm not advocating, by the way, wholesale stationery theft. But when you think it's getting down to that sort of gnarliness about we are so mistrustful of what you're doing and we're so unable to separate out the fact that you've done your job for us. You know, here is your job. Here is your output. We're happy with that. Then saying you can't do anything else. Obviously, you don't want people to be working for a competitor, pinching intellectual property or anything like that. But pretty much everything that these guys were talking to me about can only be additive. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm the editor of, of Catalyst, but I'm a freelance journalist and I work across a bonkers range of different subjects, liquid petroleum gas. <laughs> I've, done, I've done insurance, I've done marketing, I've done parenting and breastfeeding. And you'd think there are no links between them, but trust me, I have learned so many things from being across lots of different topics and being able to use lots of different experience in lots of different areas. And I kind of feel sorry <laughs> for people who are stuck in one organization going, you, you haven't had access to that breadth of experience that I've been able to get just through doing a job. Um, and so if there are employers who are, who are listening to this, who are very concerned that the pandemic has seen their employees run off and, and do extra jobs on the side, I'd say, well, first of all, are they doing their job for you? That's really all you need to be concerned about. Um, and mm -hmm. then what else could you what else could you be helping them with? You know, could you be lending them some post-it notes so they can be even better? So, yeah, there's so much. Although I, I did read a very interesting article just today in The Telegraph, if people want to, to look it up, about the two times there is. Some people have found that they've saved so much time commuting and so much time from not hanging out in the water cooler and pinching post-it notes from the stationery cupboard, that they've gained a whole job's extra worth of time and are now doing two jobs <laughs> from their sitting room. Um, right. So, so maybe you don't want to be the ones who have got two full full-time jobs, but, but certainly I think it's very short-sighted not to let people explore their passions, because if they're exploring their passions, they're energetic, they're focused, they're doing whatever they need to do in super quick time, because that's what you do when you're excited about something. And they want to keep it going. And if they've if they've got the facility to do that, then they're going to do everything in their power to make sure they can keep it up. I mean, Cheryl's point is that you can't keep a good woman down anyway. You know <laughs> that you're you're effectively fighting a losing battle if you're trying to restrict, uh, you know, uh, employees with a, with a growth mindset, as she calls it. Um, from doing things that indulge their growth mindset. You, you are on a very sticky wicket trying to do that anyway. And perhaps it's a bit of a nonsense too, to expect there to be an immediate and obvious integration and alignment between people's activities. That actually, you know, you've just cited a whole bunch of different roles that you've played in, some of them current, some of them in the past, which have enriched your experience and you've learned from and will make you 
the marketer and the editor that you are now, maybe those uh, experiences weren't obviously integrated and maybe that didn't matter. Well, no, they weren't. And whenever I've come up against an opportunity to do something that I think I can do, but it bears no current relation to something that I'm doing at the moment, um, I generally say yes to it. That's another thing that Cheryl said. She said, well, what's the secret of your success, Cheryl? And she said, I just say yes. I say yes to absolutely everything, um, which means this is probably why she keeps taking calls from the back of a horse, as she relayed to us, um, which has happened before, the perils of having a small holding. Um, it's not immediately obvious, but having learned that bonkers things that I've taken on in the past have eventually filtered through and I, I, I've been able to look back on them and go well, you know three years ago when I did that thing that's how I'm able to do this now oh yeah see the link so yeah, it takes time to percolate through but that's probably why you acquire more of that growth mindset because you do start to see the fruits of the fruits of your misguided labors and and you can see how things eventually turn out what about businesses? Do they need to have a big flag saying you can go off and do your own thing on Friday afternoons or do they just need to not say anything at all and just let employees find their own way? I think it's very interesting in that you have to know your employees, don't you? So you have to understand who is working for you. Have you got people who are in a traditional mindset? Why are they in that traditional mindset? Where have they come to you from? Um, or are they, you know, are they champing at the bit to do something different? They just don't quite know what. So is your role as an employer to know that they want to do something, but help them find ideas? So you have ideation sessions, you, you brainstorm, what daft thing should we all do? Let's let's put names in a hat or, or ideas in a hat and pull one out. And that might be how we end up doing stand-up comedy, as 10 CMOs wound up doing for Comic Relief a couple of years ago, including Cheryl, by the way. Um, right. So, so, you know, is it ideation you need to help with or do they have plenty of ideas? They're just really nervous about approaching you to say we want to do it. So if you're getting the sense that people really feel the need to leave that metaphorical jacket on the back of their chair all the time, you really need to start making it crystal clear that it is OK, positively encouraged, in fact, to go off and gain a different experience somewhere. Here are your 21 holiday days, plus your bank holidays, plus five days of go do something newest, new stuff. So I think it's it definitely comes, and as all company culture does, from understanding your employees, understanding their hopes and fears, the dreams, the ideas they have, and then working with that to say, okay, how can we help you fill in those gaps? It does. I mean, it, it seems to be, to me, potentially a virtuous circle, is that if you're more open-minded about these things, you will get more employees wanting to do these things the more employees that want to do these things the more richer the experience for those employees the richer the experience for those employees the better employees they become and thus the circle continues it seems to me to be a bit of a no-brainer although it's not as common as perhaps we'd like it to be it's not as common as perhaps we'd like it to be but i think it's getting there and the other thing just as you were saying that i think i would highlight is not everyone wants to do this. So this isn't, yeah. you know, enforced fun isn't everyone's idea of a great time. So again, know your employees and know that some of them really will be up for this sort of challenge. And others really, really want to stay in their lane, get really good at what they do, really see this linear achievement. And there is nothing wrong with that. Um, you really must just understand who you're working with and what they're working towards. 
Yeah, very wise words. Morag, it's been great to talk to you again. Thank you very much indeed. And we're looking forward to diving into the magazine, which I can commend to all our members as a great read every quarter. Thanks very much indeed, Morag. Fantastic. Thanks, Ben. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. See you next time. CIM Marketing Podcast.